Okay, we are back with episode number five of The Spider and the Fly. As always, I am Ben. I'm Tiffany. Once again, we're going to ask for uh, articulation of our speech. We want no negative energy, only the positive and creative energy to be flowing in the room around us. All right, so today is actually pretty exciting because we are going to be starting our first in a multi-part series on Platte River Killers. So for some of you that don't know, the South Platte River does run through Colorado. We are going to be talking about murders that occur uh, along the Platte River um, in all of its locations, mostly and starting off today with uh, stories that happen here in colorful Colorado. That's right. So Always. I'm excited for this. We've been playing this for a while. Yes, we have. We've been talking about it and I'm super excited to get started. Today, I will actually be talking about the murders of Patrick Murphy and Wayland Bubsy. Okay. So let me just go ahead and introduce the story here. So just to kind of set the stage, I just wanted to talk about a lot of the things that are going on in Colorado right now with homelessness because of... It is uh, a problem here. It is. And because of everything else that's going on with COVID, you know, mm. you're seeing a lot more of these uh, tent villages pop up all around the city, all around the state, really. Yes. And uh, there are places where some of these people can go, uh, homeless shelters, but a lot of them, they just kind of, you know, set up and try to survive wherever they can. You know, that's the background of our story today. Okay. Um, because a lot of times, murders in the homeless community go unrecognized. Right. You know, it's almost as though they're not worth looking for, for whatever justification, a lot of these cases are never solved. And if they're targeted, like if it's a targeted murder, then that murderer is better off to hit that community because they think that they're not missed, like nobody's looking for them. Exactly, know? and that's actually kind of what we're working with today okay. um, with this story. This is two murders that affected the, the homeless community uh, in Colorado, and Inglewood, Colorado, oh, okay. so right outside of the city. Right. Now to kind of add on to that, I'm realizing, well, you know, it makes sense that, you know, you always see the cops like shooing homeless out of the city, because, you know, that's what they do. Right. You'll find a lot of them will be settled in Inglewood, Colorado, and for those of you who don't know, that's just southeast of Denver. Yes, it's a kind of a big city. Uh, and that's actually where two of the murders took place in the story I'm about to tell. Now, the murderer in question, or the murderer most definitely, Mikhail Anthony Perpera. Are you familiar with this guy? No. This is actually a very recent case for me. Okay, this, <laughs> yeah. um, the murder itself took place in 2016. Oh, it's really recent for you. A very recent, very recent story. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I, well, I guess I, I have been doing older stories that take place you know, in the 60s and the 40s and the 50s, old, yeah. old true crime stories, uh, yeah. classic Colorado true crime stories. This is on the bleeding edge here. Yes, yeah, very recent for you. I'm 
I'm proud of you. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> finding it a lot easier to just get the pertinent information as opposed to the information that right. is, is a bit superfluous or stuff we don't really need. Yeah, the background story that's necessary. The... You have to set the table. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's... So he found himself in Colorado after fleeing the state of Louisiana after allegations of attempted murder of his girlfriend and another individual. There were warrants issued in... Louisiana, which caused him to flee, so he never actually got apprehended there. Okay. However, the interesting thing, I couldn't find any information on the name of his girlfriend that he attempted to murder, because get this, she never actually pressed charges on him. That says a bunch of things. Must be terrified. More or less like, please just go away. He ends up leaving the state, supposedly brandished a firearm. He was wanting for shooting somebody. Some time goes on, he finds himself in Colorado, he's kind of involves himself in the, the Denver, Inglewood, homeless community, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things go on, people steal from each other, people are out for survival. Mikhail Anthony Perpero kind of found himself as the type of person that got what he wanted through intimidating others and uh, stealing from them. He had a weapon, so he could kind of push people around. But he was arrested on November 12th of 2016 by Inglewood police um, because he was suspected of shoplifting. He was found with a loaded 40 caliber gun as well as uh, a gentleman named Murphy. That's uh, the first victim of the story, Patrick S. Murphy. He was found with his uh, healthcare card and his cell phone. This is evidence finding somebody who was involved with the disappearance of Patrick Murphy, who was found murdered. Once they investigated the gun that he was found with, it was also involved in uh, a gentleman named Waylon Bubsy's death. Mm-hmm. Now, Waylon Bubsy was uh, a member of the homeless community. He lived in the streets of Denver for years. Yeah. So he had kind of a, a reputation. He was well known. He was known as Old School or Little Dino okay. or Little Dean. Um, he had nicknames and he was kind of known in different circles. Um, he was described as hard to get to know, but he always has your back. He also was mentioned to have an eagle tattoo uh, across his chest. Okay. There were witnesses that saw somebody uh, dumping the body in a lake in Edgewater. Okay. The witnesses told detectives during the interview that Mikhail Anthony Purpura said that he killed a man near a pond in Inglewood. That's uh, from a statement from the district attorney's office. Okay. The witness said that he killed Murphy to get a rush. Now Murphy was the first person he he killed. Mm. Waylon Bubsy being the second. It was also said that Waylon Bubsy was uh, killed for the marijuana that he had. So he was killed over a little bit of weed, which in Colorado it's like something in 2016, it was really fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, wow. For those of you who don't know, it's been legalized here in Colorado. For quite some time. Right. But honestly, I think for him it was about the thrill of pushing somebody around and killing them and taking their possessions because this was kind of his M.O. since he fled the state. Fortunately, he was caught. It was later that they found out that he was responsible for the murders of these two people. Patrick S. Murphy, he was a handyman. He was uh, always known to like a good joke or a wisecrack, and these were just people that were trying to live their lives and survive while having kind of a, you know, obviously a maniac come after there and take take everything from them. Well, when they followed up on what the witnesses had told them about uh, Purpura being seen at the uh, Edgewater Lake, police didn't find a body in November when they were searching the pond. The pond itself was iced over. A couple months later, in February of 2017, when the pond was drained, a bystander saw the body and reported it to Inglewood Police. So this guy was probably just walking his dog or walking around the park and then saw a body that was first identified as Patrick S. Murphy. 
he'd been reported missing since November 12th of 2016. So that was actually just a couple days after Waylon Bubsy was found. So he killed Patrick S. Murphy first, but Waylon Bubsy's body was found beforehand. Now, let's talk about the sentencing. So when they found the body, they identified it as Murphy. He was reported missing in November 12th of 2016. Uh, the DA's office said that he had been shot in the head. He was actually sentenced in Arapahoe County on March 22nd. They found uh, Mikhail Anthony Perpero, who was 31 at the time, guilty of first-degree murder of Patrick Dean Murphy. Now, he was 33 when he killed him. Okay. So the deputy district attorney, his name is Michael Morrow, said to the news, law enforcement officers, scientific experts, and brave witnesses from across the country and state lines have banded together in a quest for justice. The slayings of Patrick Murphy and Waylon Busby were not the first times the defendant pulled the trigger, nor would they have been the last. And it's true. I think if they didn't catch him then and there for shoplifting, they wouldn't have found the gun, they wouldn't have found that it was related to the murder of Waylon Bubsy, and then later found the body of Patrick. So, well, I'm, I'm like, well, what is, the, I know you say it was for the Waylon guy, it was him stealing his weed, but yeah. what for the other guy, Murphy? They basically said that he was doing, that murder was for the thrill of it. Just to do it. I mean, he, maybe he did take something from him, but when they found him, they found, you know, his healthcare card and his cell phone. So he was probably just killed for his cell phone even. Maybe. Because uh, he was found using it. Or maybe he took something else from it. I can't imagine if he didn't have any money on him, he wouldn't, you know, he would have spent it on, you know, whatever already. Right. Wow. Now, I've got another quote here, and this is from District Attorney George Rauchler. Human life is meaningless to this cold-blooded and wanton killer. Laws that prohibit this felon from possessing firearms are meaningless to this multiple murderer. Our community, the planet, is better off with this guy behind bars forever. This is why we build prisons. And to be perfectly honest with you, from pretty much every aspect I can look at this story, he's absolutely right. right. Um, you know, Mikhail Anthony Purpura is somebody who's obviously a homicidal maniac. Yeah. He doesn't live by anybody's rules. He, you know, lives a homeless lifestyle. He pretty much is a bully, takes what he wants, and those who give him any resistance get killed. Yeah. And I am glad that he's off the streets of Yeah, Denver. and they stopped him before. Yeah. It, um, unfortunately, it was two people, but they stopped him before it was oh, more, because it would have been more. Like, absolutely. That district attorney said it absolutely would have been more. You know, way too often, you know, we give the, the police a lot of slack for not doing their job or not actually helping people. But this is one, I just want to say, like, they actually did catch the guy, so just give him a pat on the back for that, Right. at the very least, because there are some very terrifying people out there. Still. Still, on the streets. So the sentence he actually received was uh, first degree murder. First degree felony murder in the Bus in Busby's death uh, by the Denver jury in 2018. Sentenced to uh, prison for life without the possibility of parole, according to the DA's office. So right now he's serving multiple life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any information where exactly he's serving time right now. Because like I said, I did kind of whip together this information. I didn't want it going too long and talking to everybody's <laughs> ear off for an hour. <laughs> yes, I think it's perfect information. I mean, apprehending these people, that's a happy ending as far that as I'm is. concerned. Because Absolutely, especially doing with the homeless community where... Not too many people care. So yep. that's good that they got them in that aspect alone. And uh, actually, I'm at the point now where I can start talking about my sources. We all enjoy kind of sharing our sources and yes. allowing you guys to know that we can do our own research on this show. 
Yes, and, we did. you know, if anybody has oh information that conflicts what we have to say out here, these are this is just where we get our information from. So I did read an article that kind of covered Michael Anthony Purpura as being from Louisiana. Now that's a Louisiana publication called The Advocate. The article I read was by uh, the writer, I guess, David J. Mitchell, Ellis Arnold, who actually writes for ColoradoCommunityMedia.com, okay. uh, which is a fantastic site to see what's going on in uh, Colorado in general. It's actually how I found most of my sources regarding some of the things that affect the homeless community. He's done a lot of human interest stories on uh, the homeless in uh, Inglewood and in Denver. Um, so that's where he was probably the biggest source in this story for me was Alice Arnold writing for Colorado Community Media. So uh, props out to him. Of course, we got our average uh, Denver Post article. This one was by Saja Hindi was the author of that one. Now, uh, Denver Post, in my opinion, is very cut and dry. I've noticed that they're great for timelines. Most of their true crime stories are the stories about this sort of stuff, where we do our research. It's written in chronological order, so it's right. very easy to follow. Have you noticed that as well? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Denver Post, for all the shit we talk, we constantly use that as a source. Yeah, um, we still miss Rocky Mountain. Yeah, we do miss Rocky Mountain. <laughs> but, you know. We've got Amanda Kesting, who was the, um, the reporter on the, the Nine News that actually covered this. And I think you can actually go online and on Nine News and see the clip regarding uh, this particular case where the body of uh, Patrick Murphy was found in Inglewood, Colorado. To wrap this up, do you have any questions for me or questions about the story that stick out to you or any points that you feel are noteworthy? No, just like I said, like I'm, I'm glad that they caught him and that he's in jail because, you know, like two homeless people, they get overlooked all the time. There's plenty of homeless murders that they don't even know who these people are. So I'm, I'm glad that they were able to be identified and that they were able to get justice. And um, it's I'm uneasy about the, the lack of the motive, <laughs> you know, to be stealing weed from somebody in 2016 in Colorado is fucking ridiculous. I feel a way about that, so, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I like, well, get yeah. your shit together, man. Get your yeah. own shit together. Buy your own fucking weed. He killed uh, up to a number of two times before he killed the... Um, Waylon Bubsy for his weed. Right. So it seems to me it was just about it, it the killing, just, the power. Yeah, you yeah. know, I can imagine somebody that lives a homeless lifestyle doesn't have many sources of self-empowerment, but obviously murder is definitely not the road to go. Right. So that's the, uh, the story that I came across. And to be perfectly honest with you, during this series of Platte River Killers, a lot of them are going to be uh, affecting the homeless community because that's where, you know, a lot of people live, you know, along the water line and... Unfortunately, that's where a lot of murders do happen. These these murder stories go way, way, way back. Yeah. So this is just a modern one, but you know we have a deep well of other stories to really talk about regarding the Platte River. Yeah, this is just our first one. I think that was a good first one. Yeah. To get us going, absolutely. Mm -hmm. In our little series, I don't know. I don't think that we discussed how long this series is going to be, but it's going to be pretty long, guys. Yeah, we're going to be peppering them in here and there. There's a lot to talk about here. I kind of wish that there was more information available about this sort of thing, but, you know, we'll keep digging and we'll keep bringing it to you live and uncut on the spider on the fly. Absolutely. 
So we are still going on with our series for the Platte River. Mine's is not necessarily a murder. Mine's an attempted murder. It's mine's a survivor story, which I love. Um, we don't do that too often. Like the last couple episodes have been really kind of gory and down because we kid murders and shit like that. So this is not, I mean, I, I like that it's a survivor story, but it's still kind of gruesome. I'm going to start with my sources. So I got a lot of my information from Westward Magazine. I mean, Westward Article, excuse me. Written back in 2015, actually when they caught this guy, I didn't get who was written by, but I uh, got most of my information from there. There was also a little video from Channel uh, 7, DenverChannel7News.com, and I also got a lot of information from a website called Scrib.com, and that had a whole affidavit of this case on there. So I'm just going to get right into it. Our minds is a little older, which you'll okay. be surprised about. Okay, cool. Uh, minds is, uh, starts in June, June 14, 1997. Okay. Just before midnight. I have um, Susie Hernandez, who was 15 at the time, and she's walking home from her boyfriend's house. Okay. Um, her boyfriend walks her halfway home to Federal Street, and he watches her cross the street. And she continues on, and she gets to like, I think it's, they said it was like 68th and Holden or something like that. Uh -huh. Something in Holden. But she gets almost, she's like halfway home, like uh, literally a block away from her house when a truck pulls up next to her. Right. So the driver hops out of the truck, and he pulls out a gun, and he points it at her, and he demands that she gets into the truck with him. When he hops out, he's like on the driver's side, so he like makes her get in through the driver's side and uh -huh. he follows behind her uh -huh. so when she gets in he drives off and he's heading north on he eventually is heading north on i-25 oh one of these lighters is yours and one of these lighters is mine yes okay <laughs> i got think, two I think this one is mine yeah <laughs> he's eventually headed north on i-25 after everything happens susie notes that there is a case of corona in the truck and he's also drinking a corona right and he mentions to her that his boss wanted him to pick her up to go see her dead cousin. Random as fuck. Like, I, I'm like, what the fuck? What does any of that mean? Your boss sent you to pick her up. Like, you, your boss was going to know that she was walking home from her boyfriend's house at this specific time. Like, I have so many questions about the dead cousin part. Right? Now, keep in mind, this girl is 15 years old. Okay? <laughs> Like, you just have to always remember that. She's 15. Sure. So, he says that to her while he's driving. They eventually get to a remote area, and she says that it's by a river, which later we find out is Platte River. So, he he makes her get out of the truck, and as soon as she gets out, he begins to hit her in the head with his gun, with the butt of his gun. She recalls that he hit her at least twice. Um, he starts pushing her down towards the river. So when they get down towards the river, he starts taking off her clothes and he rapes her. Oh no. So they um in the affidavit that I read, they go into like detail as into, you know, shit that I don't want to mention, you know, like sure. it's a gruesome rape, I'll say that. So after he rapes her, he pulls his gun back out and points it point blank at her head. And while she's pleading for her life, he pulls the trigger two times at this point, and it never, the gun doesn't go off. So he keeps pulling it several more times. The gun is jammed, and eventually it does fire, and it hits her straight in the forehead. He then pulls her body down to the river, 
and throws her in there along with her clothing and he leaps somehow you know miraculously she's still alive when she thinks that he's gone she crawls out of the river and is like crawling up the river bank when he comes back mm -hmm. and you know obviously to make sure she was dead you know that he wouldn't get caught for it type of thing yeah. I in my opinion that's exactly what he was doing he sees her crawling up the river bank and he goes over to her and starts beating her up like with his fists he pulls her back into the river so I'm not sure at this point she gets away from him right. they're saying that he starts throwing rocks at her so I'm assuming that she got away and he's trying to like knock her back out with the rocks or something she acts like she's dead in the river again and he finally fucking takes off it's, it comes out later in the affidavit that she heard um, what sounded like you know the, the rabble of his tires pulling off the second time right and so she gets back out of the river again crawls up and she's naked and bleeding oh, no. and she is crawling up the river bank again and um, in a little video that I watched the interview that she had with Andrew Hilo from Channel 7 News mm -hmm. um, she's saying you know she's like crawling walking across little stickers and she's walking across those and walking across gravel to get to the highway to fly somebody down. So when she finally gets up there, she's walking up there naked and bleeding, like I said, for a good 10 minutes before somebody sees her and stops and picks her up. Whoever picks her up takes her over to the pilot truck stop. And for those of you who are not from Denver, like the pilot is like a, a staple in Denver, you know, for truck stops anyway, it's a, a Denver staple. The passerby, they never say it was a woman or a man, but they right. take her to the pilot truck stop and they call the police. And then Avalanche come and take her to Denver Health. Um, so while she's at Denver Health, a rape kick is performed. Also taken into evidence was a hospital cloth and saliva samples. Three separate interviews are conducted with Susie, beginning with the initial interview on June 14th when it happened with the officer Tracy Love. And she gets the initial information, or he, I, they don't say which it is, because right. Tracy could be either or. Right. But Officer Tracy Love um, did the initial interview and gets the initial information about, like, where she was walking and, you know, what happened. Um, so after that, she gets interviewed again by um, a detective, John, I believe his name was, McDonald. I seen his first name later on in the affidavit, but at first it just says Detective McDonald. He interviews her at the hospital. She provides more information. And then she has another interview on June 23rd at the police station, also with Detective McDonald. She's able to provide that the offender is a Hispanic male between 25 to 40. He's 5'10", 200 pounds, with brown eyes and long hair. Um, she also provided that he has three tattoos on his right arm. And she describes them as happy theater masks, like the happy and sad theater masks. Oh, yeah, I've seen that yeah, one. Yeah, that's like a typical, Yeah, you know? sure. Plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and you as a tattoo artist, I'm sure you've seen oh, yeah. your fair share of those. Sure have. So, um, I do want to talk about all the shit that she's able to provide to the cops after being shot in the fucking head. Okay, now, first of all, like I said, she's 15. She's been raped. She's been shot in the head. And they said that he shot at her, like, when he came back the second time, um, after he was, like, beating her up. It says that he shot at her, too, but I don't know if he actually hit her the second time he was shooting at her. I see. Okay. Uh, he did beat her up, though. And so, you know, he's trying to drown her in the river and everything. 
So I think it's like perfect that she has all this information that she can provide to them. Right. Even though it's vague information, it is uh, a lot that she's providing as in being shot in the head, True. you know, oh, and being yeah. 15 years old, like, and above all, she was shot in the head. So thank God that she lived and she was able to provide all that, wow. you know, within the same day that this all happened to her, you know, she was able to tell the cops what happened. And within the days to follow after that, you know, she's able to tell him. You know, unfortunately, even with all that information, like I said, it's very vague. Right. You know, Hispanic male between 25 to 40, that's a wide range. <laughs> so, you know, it's very vague information. And this is in 1997, you know, so they have DNA tested, but I'm sure it wasn't as advanced as it is sure. now. Of course. So, by January 1998, Detective McDonald carried the case as inactive and not cleared. Mm. So, nobody's working it, but it's not cleared. It's a cold case at this point. So, six years passed, and in October 2004, Detective Michael Zimmer, he's a cold case detective, reviewed Susie's case. Uh, he pressed that the rape kit and the hospital cloth and the saliva samples be tested again. So, when it got tested, all that information got in entered into CODIS, uh, which is a national database, you know, that they use for all offenders, depending on your crime. They put your DNA in there so that you are linked to other shit like this. And this is basically how they caught him because of CODIS. So anyway, um, like I said, um, he has everything tested again. Nothing comes back immediately. When I say immediately, I'm saying nine fucking years later, mm-hmm. they got a hit. So August 9, 2013, Detective Martin Smith uh, receives, and he's also a cold case detective, uh, receives a coldest match report from the Denver Police Department Crime Lab. The match came from a sperm sample that was taken with the rape kit, and the hit comes back to a Ray Ojeda, I believe it's pronounced. Sure. And at this point, he's in Texas. Ray Ojeda, 42 at the time of the coldest hit had been living in San Antonio, Texas on probation. But in 2011, he had got arrested for a marijuana, a weed drug charge. And that is what prompted his DNA collection, which, you know, his DNA to be entered into... Into the registry. Yeah. Right. It turns out, like, to nobody's fucking surprise, that he has a lengthy criminal record um, in multiple states, Colorado, Florida, and Texas. So what kind of crime are we talking here? What kind of hate, uh, heinous shit is he getting himself into? Well, from what I've seen, it's more just like petty shit like this. Marijuana drug charge, I believe is some shit like just like distribution, like selling it. You know right. what I'm saying? Like having a large amount. And in Texas, you know, it's not like here. They don't have like legal, you can't be selling weed, you know. But even here, you can't be selling it like... Unless you are licensed to sell it. Right, you can't just be selling it on the street. Well, I think people still do. People still do, but who the fuck goes to the weed man anymore? Like, <laughs> I don't have time for the weed man. I'd much rather go to the store. I agree. Um, it's, it's a million times better. It's a million times better. I don't have to call you up. I don't have to order shit and wait for you to come. All day, too. Yeah, all day. <laughs> Hang out with your girlfriend and shit. Like, come on, dude. Anyway, (laughs) Detective Smith immediately begins to locate Susie. Um, He goes to her last known address, and no luck, nobody answers the door when he gets there. And so he gets her number, and he calls her, and she does answer. Um, So he gets her to come down for an interview. And during the interview, Detective Smith shows Susie a picture of Ojeda. 
and she doesn't recognize him at first right. but she also confirms that he's not a consensual sexual partner okay. like she's never had sex with him consensually okay um so of course he looks different it's been what 18 years at this fucking point since all that happened to her so of course you know okay so hold on what year is this now this is 2013 gotcha and this happened in 1997 yeah Okay, so she, like I said, she confirms that this is not one of her consensual sexual partners. Right. And so the hit that they have on him is semen that came from her rape kit. So clearly you raped her. Detective Smith also contacts Ohana's probation officer at the time and obtained his physical ad- address. Uh, Detective Smith was later granted a search war- a search and arrest warrant for Ohana. Uh, the search warrant was for his DNA so that they can compare and contrast, obviously. Right. And I, they didn't say it in the affidavit, but I guess apparently, and I didn't, I couldn't find it anywhere else. It was just mentioned in the affidavit, like in, at the end of it. Right. But um, that they, they, I guess they had two other people who were their suspects, their right. list of suspects. Right. But they didn't. I couldn't find anything to get specifically into that. I see. They just said that after they got his DNA, Ojeda's, uh DNA, that it cleared those two suspects. Obviously, it matched from the CODIS and the rape kit. Good. Yes. So he's arrested in San Antonio on August 21st, my mother's birthday, mm-hmm. uh, 2013, and he's charged with kidnapping, attempted murder, and sexual assault. Um, he's extradited back here to Colorado where he's awaited trial, uh-huh. and apparently he was waiting for a long goddamn time because they didn't convict him until 2015. Nice. Um, but he was convicted of first-degree attempted murder, second-degree kidnapping, and first-degree sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And um, for all three of those, he received a total combined of 144 years in federal prison. Um, he's currently serving his time at Arkansas Correctional Facility. Okay. Um, I looked it up. He looks gross. He's like 300 pounds, <laughs> and he's gross. So I'm like, well, I want to put up some like some pictures of what he looked like. Well, yeah. Well, actually, I don't because. Well, we we lied to the public and we told them we we're gonna post diaper pics, but <laughs> you know, I couldn't find. You know, it's funny. I couldn't find those. Yeah. They but, must have taken them down. I know because I seen them. There was a lot of those. But I do want to put. I don't. I I did want to put like what he looked like then and now, but now I think about it because this is a survivor story. I don't. I would much rather put a picture up of her. You know, yeah. because she made it through that whole thing. Picture of her being happy. Yeah. In her interview with Andrew Hilo, she's like, I am not a victim. I am a survivor. And she's like, I'm just like so glad that they finally caught him and I lived through the whole thing. You That's know, she's awesome. a scar, but she lived her life. Oh, At the wow. time that they he went to jail, she was 33. And so I haven't like found any recent information, like 2021 information, but yeah. I'm wow, just happy that she made it through. You know, 15 years old to go through that is crazy. That's an incredible story. It is. Wow. I'm glad that we have uh, one with somewhat of a happy ending. Yeah. You know, that's nice. Yeah. Like, she lived and he fucking went to jail. Good. And he'll be in there for the rest of his life. Well, fuck him. Fuck him. 144 years, you bitch. Is there anything that you feel like you should add uh, to kind of cap this off? Any points you want to circle back around? Anything that you find particularly intriguing about this story only a couple things like i i think that it was crazy that he pulled up on her clearly he was drunk he has a case of corona in the car and he's like drinking one while he picks her up so i feel like he was just like on the prowl that night in particular 
And while I couldn't like find like any other shit that he was doing, I hope maybe if he did anything else like that to anybody else who lent, you know, I hope that they will, even if he just raped somebody, you know, I hope that they will come forward, even though it's been years since he actually mm-hmm. been convicted. But um, I would hope that in all these other states that he was in, that if, if there are survivors, that they will come forward, you know. Right. So I... I honestly would like to like do a little more research into that and see where he was at in those because he was in Florida and he was in Texas as well as here. So, you know, he could have gotten into a lot of things. I see. Yeah. So why is he serving in Arkansas, did you say? Yeah. I don't know why he's there. Really? Did he have any other charges that were outstanding? Not that I, Well, he was on probation already, so uh-huh. maybe the prison was just available or something. I don't know. <laughs> Well, well, that is the end of my survivor story, and I'm glad that we have a little twist in our in our fifth episode. Yes, indeed. Um, we have a survivor story, so that's great. Yeah, and it's isn't that our first survival story? Yes, yes it is, and I think they're important to tell. I agree. But it fits right into our whole little Platte River thing, and I'm excited to keep going with that. All right. Anything else you want to say before we cut it off? No, I thank everybody who has ever listened to any podcast, whether you are a friend or family or you just found us. Thank you so much for listening to us. Please tell your friends and tell everybody else to like and follow us. Doing our research, and we always like to express this point that we are for victim advocacy, but if you ever have the opportunity to um, go to gunmemorial.org, a .org website that kind of puts the faces to all these statistics of people who are killed each year by gun violence. Okay. So my story, death of Patrick, Stephen Murphy, and Waylon Busby, I got to see what these individuals look like, and I found out more about them as people and realized that millions of people's lives are taken in uh, the United States by gun violence. And right. It's, and it's terrible. It's absolutely it's dreadful. Absolutely terrible. In but United I, States. I did want to make a point to bring up that... Uh, gunmemorial.org um, is a good resource uh, to kind of understand the issue of how it's affecting uh, the United States. Perfect. I think that's a good point to put up. Okay. Uh, since this is our first uh, Platte River special, we are going to have the Platte River Killers uh, local Denver band play us out. Yes. And, um, oh, and where can they find us on social media? We are on Instagram, Spider and the Fly Podcast. Yeah, Spider and Fly Podcast on yes. Instagram. And uh, you can also find us on YouTube, uh, Spider and the Fly, a mile high true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. Instagram, YouTube, Spotify. Yeah. Find us. Yeah. On the internet. <laughs> Playing us out is the Platte River Killers. <laughs>